Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by the three-time Ironman world champion, two-time Ironman 70.3 world champion, and the man who I recently had as number three on my greatest long-course triathletes of all time list over on the Pro Tri News podcast, Craig Crowey Alexander. Craig Alexander has, in my opinion, one of, if not the best triathlon IQ on the planet. And so once every six months or so, uh, I like to pester him to get him onto the show just to talk about triathlon. Um, it's selfish more than anything because I love talking triathlon with Crowey. Um, in this, this episode, I'm, I'm hoping to start a little bit of a tradition where I get Crowey on at the end of the year and we just break down the year that was in triathlon. Um, if you want to hear specifically about Crowey's training himself, then head all the way back to, to episode eight, right, right at the start of the podcast, um, where we talk for about 90 minutes uh, in detail about Crowey's training and his racing from, the, from back in the day, including like this really um, what's now become famous collapsing story pre-Kona. Um, so go and check that out. Uh, but yeah, in today's episode, we're just going to be chatting about the, the year of 2022 in triathlon. Um, Crowey, firstly, as always, thanks for being here, mate. You, you know I, I love having you on. And secondly, what was your highlight of, of 2022 in the world of triathlon? Well, thanks for having me on, mate. I, it's always good fun to come on and talk about a sport that we both love. Highlight from 2022. Wow. Um, where to start? There are a lot of there are a lot of great moments. Um, it's hard to pinpoint one. I mean, I, I loved a personal highlight was being back on the Big Island after a few years away. Um, getting back to to Kona for the Ironman World Championships. Um, of course, a split format this year, two-day format. Um, Got to say, I enjoyed the women's race out there. That was probably a highlight. Chelsea Sodaro winning winning the race in just an incredible performance. And in a race that, you know, you know, oftentimes, particularly recently, that race can be sort of uh, won well before the end, uh, as we've seen, you know, on those occasions where Danny Reef just dominates and... Um, <clears throat> It's a question more of how much, uh, but I think this year in the women's race in Kona, we saw an exciting race that um, there's still a lot of questions to answer going into the marathon and even halfway into the marathon. So for me, that was a highlight, but yeah, just so many to mention, mate. I mean, I loved watching the Norwegian hype train continue. Um, I just think those boys are amazing. What they continue to do, I think rewriting the records, um, and changing the way we think about the sport. You know, I think certainly in my time in and around the sport, we, we often see people transition from short course to long course. And in fact, that's that's the natural pathway, I think. Um, and the great athletes are able to excel at both. What we don't often see is someone bouncing between Ironman world champs and, you know, ITU world triathlon sprint distance race six days later and then back to a 70.3 worlds. I mean, what Christian and Gustav did this year, I, I just thought was was amazing. Um, the way they can just change up the distance from week to week. And the only the only person I can remember even doing something even remotely close was Welshy back in the day. He would race in Hawaii, and then three or four weeks later, he was on the start line at the Twiz Blue or the Formula One series. Um, you know, with such a tight turnaround, not many athletes would would ever attempt that or had the ability to do it, but just watching those boys do it um, with what looks like, uh, you know, ease um, 
is is great to watch. I mean, Flora Duffy was a highlight this year. She just continues to win and win big. She's so consistent. I think everybody knows her MO when she races, but no one's really been able to stop her um, from having her way, you know, on the biggest uh, stages, the biggest occasions, um, the highest quality field. She still races the way she wants and dominates. So I think that was a highlight, but mate, there were a lot. There were a lot. I think we continue to see our sport evolve and go in a lot of different directions and they're all fun and they're all great for the sport, I think. I love the Chelsea Sodaro mention off the top, Crowy, because of of the weekend at Kona, I think particularly because the men's race came last. Well, I mean, generally the, the thing that comes last is like the main event, isn't it? And it's what people talk about. Like this happens in fighting all the time, doesn't it? In great boxing matches throughout the throughout the history of, uh, of boxing is that all the undercard fights get forgotten because of the main event fight. And I think that's sort of what happened with Kona a bit this year is because the men were the, were the crescendo, they were the, the, the final act. And, it, and what a final act it was, one of the greatest races in Kona we've probably ever seen, my personal favourite race I've probably ever seen on, on the Big Island. Chelsea's performance got, got overshadowed a bit, but pound for pound... It's hard to argue it wasn't the best performance on on the Big Island um, this year. She, we've been crying out for that that collection of all of the best women in world triathlon to to finally race each other at the Ironman World Championships. I think you could argue it's probably never happened, and and I think we got it this year. Outside of maybe Cat Matthews, who we would have loved to have seen there, every single one of the 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 big females in in world triathlon right now were, were there on that start line and. They were all going backwards during that marathon, mate. Like, even even one of the greatest runners in in female Ironman history, Anne Hug, you know, she she was right around the three hour mark, and she's a lady who's capable of that that high two forties for sure. But it was Chelsea Sadaru who who ended up eight minutes, a bit over eight minutes ahead of, of everyone else, and 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 was was the only person running strong in in the back half of that that marathon. It was a it was a wild performance, and it, it was an outlier of a performance. Everyone else had very similar races in that they they seemed to pay for for the effort on the on the bike and and the heat of the day got to them on the marathon and they all ran well below what they're capable of on 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 the marathon and Chelsea didn't do that she was she was getting stronger and stronger and stronger throughout the marathon she ran at or right around what she was capable of on the marathon eight minutes faster than the the next girl an incredible performance that that yeah got overshadowed probably by Gustav and Christian and Sam Laidlow and Maxie Newman's battle, um, but but just an, an exceptional performance. So I love that you mentioned that. And yeah, Jesus Crowy, what about that that men's race with the Norwegians and and the you know you know what made that race even more special is that we all expected the Norwegians to be there and to do that and race like robots and 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 ultimately one of them win. We all expected that, and I know me and you have talked in depth about how. How much, how highly we think of Gustav, and in our preview show to St George Ironman World Championships, we both had him as the unbackable favourite, and, and I, I don't know about you, but but I did again for for Kona. But what made that race so special was Sam Laidlow and Maxi Newman and and Magnus Ditlev. The the race got taken to these Norwegians, and say what you want, it, they did not have it all their own way. And you know, talking to Olav after the race, they they are laughing about a story that they told where. Olav and Dan Larang, two of the greatest coaches on the planet right now, were discussing with the Norwegian boys, Christian and Gustav, who do we have to worry about? What's our plans around this guy? And, and Dan Larang brought out, what about Sam Laidlow? And 
Olav and Christian and, and Gustav sort of said, yeah, it doesn't matter. We, you know, he can be 10 minutes off the front, off the marathon, and we'll catch him at halfway because he'll blow up like he always does. And that didn't happen. And that race became exciting. And, and at, at the halfway mark, it, it went, I reckon when we started that run, everyone was like, oh, yeah, they'll catch him. It's just when. And halfway through the marathon, when he started taking time back into them, everyone was like, Whew, is Sam Laidlow going to win this? You know, it was what a crazy race. It was a great race. He's certainly the X factor. And, you know, I think it's a mistake a lot of athletes make is to judge the competition and what you've seen in the past. And maybe that's what they did with Sam. You know, it's, it's, it's happened throughout the history of our sport at different times. The main players let other athletes go off the front. Um, understanding that, you know, we're probably going to have enough run talent here to, to catch. But, I mean, I used to always think that, you know, your competition is going to be better than you've seen in the past because, you know, that's what you're planning to be. Every time you step on the line in a world championship, you're trying to be better than you were the last time. So I would always plan for, you know, the big rivals and the big names to be one or two or 3% better than I've ever seen them before. Um, and I think Sam Laidlow had shown glimpses of, you know, what he could do. He had a couple of third and fourth places at the PTO events and he was sort of always up towards the front. We know he's swim pedigrees. He's a front pack every day of the week guy and, and strong on the bike. Um, but you know what? That's what leading at a world championship does. You know, it, it almost forces the spotlight onto yourself. You don't, you know, if you're off the front like that and the whole world's watching, you always lift. I think you lift emotionally and mentally and, and, and that leads the way physically. So, um, yeah, he certainly made the race. I mean, to me, what's amazing about the Norwegians is just the consistency. You, you sort of know what you're going to get, swim, bike, and run with them. But what we saw in the men's race was a couple of guys deliver on what we thought they were capable of, and now we know for sure. And you mentioned two of the names, Sam, Sam Laidlow and, and Maxie Newman. I think Maxie's been a guy who's had the um, slowly and surely been putting together this great um, tool bag. And just a consistency, he's won, he's won cans three times, um, and he's just slowly and surely been putting together an arsenal of weapons that he can now use you know, on the biggest stage against the best opposition. And his his race held up, you know, his strengths held up under pressure. Um, he was right in that race right up to the death and was, you know, racing shoulder to shoulder with the Norwegians, which was so good to see. Um, but, yeah, well, it was an exciting race. It's, it's what you hope for. And, you know, being out there watching, you know, people talk about the conditions. And, I mean, it's it's Hawaii, so it's always hot, hot-ish, hot, humid, the wind plays a role. I mean, and sometimes when the wind doesn't blow on the bike, it makes it fast, but it doesn't make it easy. Um, it just means, you know, you're going at higher sustained speeds on the bike for longer, which I think wears you down over time. So, yeah, no, that was that was an incredible race to watch the men's race. And, yeah, going back to what you, what you said about Chelsea's race, it was incredible because Cap Matthews really was the only notable absentee from, from the start list. All the big hitters were there, all the main players, the favourites. Again, they had really nice conditions and the bike pace was just on 
I think it was interesting. Lucy didn't have the lead out of the swim that I know certainly that I thought she would have. And and then a few good tactical moves by some of the girls behind were able to bridge that gap up to her. And yeah, it just changed the dynamic of the race, but it was certainly a faster day. And I think what was noticeable to me in the women's race was a lot of the big favourites. And I had Danny, um, Annie Haug, Laura Phillip as three of my big favourites pre-race along with Lucy. They were, they were a long way back out of the swim, seven minutes. I mean, that's a... Most people I was I was talking to on the pier and, and actually as the lead woman or as the lead woman, Lucy was heading back at the end of the swim. Her husband, Reese was sitting at the end of the pier and I had a quick chat to him and he was hoping for about three to four minutes over some of Lucy's main roles and he got double that. They got seven minutes. So I think that just set the table for what, what then unfolded. You know, Danny maybe had to ride a little bit harder than she would have liked. And she rode amazing um, to bridge that seven minutes and catch up to the leaders just before the end of the bike. But you know, at what cost? And because of the pace that she was laying down, it forced a lot of the other girls. I mean, you mentioned Annie Howe. I mean, I heard her say after the race, it was just the sustained high speed on the bike the whole time that really took away some of her running legs. So interesting and fun dynamics in the men's and women's races. It was great to watch. And then you sort of made mention of um, the short course scene with Flora Duffy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and Flora dominated on the weekend, you know, in a bit of a battle with, with Georgia Taylor-Brown. But Flora Flora might be the best short course female triathlete we've ever seen and, and we're getting, getting to watch it now. And I sort of feel like the short course racing doesn't get the audience that it should because it's so fun. Like the racing is such high level. Um, and, and we're probably seeing the best to ever do it right now in Flora. Like I'm such a fan of what Emma Snowsell used to do. You know, her 2006 Commonwealth Games gold medal was really the first triathlon I ever remember watching. Like it's my first big triathlon memory and I'm such a fan of what she did and, and I'm a massive fan of what Nicholas Spirig went on to do and loved the period of time when Gwen Jorgensen was, was unbeatable. But I don't know if we've ever seen a, a better female short course athlete than, than the 2022 and 2021 Flora Duffy that we're, we're getting to see. And and then another short course story, like the male short course racing is was insane in 2022, wasn't it, Crowley? Like we've got some great athletes. I don't know if we're at the highs of 2012 Alistair Brownlee, but what Alexander Yee and, and Hayden Wilde and Matty Hauser and, you know, Morgan Pearson and Vincent Louis are doing at the moment, Christian Blumenfeld when he's there. But Leo Berger on the weekend becoming the world champion and, and winning the grand final talk about potentially the most underrated triathlete on the planet right now. No one was talking about him all year. And, and even still after the grand final win, I don't know if anyone's really talking about him and he's, he's just won the world championships and won the grand final in, in as deep and strong a field of short course athletes as we've ever had. Um, it was a crazy year in short course racing as well. Yeah. Well, you know, short course racing should have a huge audience because it's, it's explosive. It's fast. Uh, it's just great to watch. Um, so, yeah, Leo was had a great finish. To, he actually had a great consistent season, which is why he took the crown. He finished. He finished it off in style. And you know, when we moved from that format of um, the one day world championship to to the series, it sort of does crown the most consistent and the best across the whole season. So. You know, every now and again, generally or generally speaking, even in the one-day format, you got the best 
um, athlete usually would win. Every now and again, you'd throw up a few surprises. But, um, you know, I just think Leo didn't over-race like some of the others potentially. Um, he was able to find his best form still late in the season after a long season. So it is competitive. I mean, you make a good point. Is it as is it as a higher level as what we saw with Alistair, Javier, Jonathan, um, and those boys? I mean, they were that was consistent high level racing for four or five years, um, that previous generation. But I think the current male generation is as deep as we've ever seen. Um, just the depth of talent. Uh, it's it's so impressive, but yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the boys may be over raced there, um, which it's easy to do with the short course racing. I mean, you, you never think about over race. Well, I guess you do, and some people do over race with the Ironman, um, but you can do it in the short course as well. I think, um, and it it doesn't mean you come off the boil too much, but it means you just come off. I, it's just the nature of that racing. If you're one percent off that's the difference between five or 10 places. So, you know, it's not to say that Alex, I mean, I don't think Hayden had his best race last weekend, but I think Alex was his usual self. He was up, up and about. And, um, but you know, if you're not having your, just your very best day, you can be five or 10 spots off in the world triathlon racing. So, um, you know, I think in that short course racing, you just, you got to schedule season really well. Um, like with all, all distances, really, you can't you can't over race. Um, so maybe that was the big lesson. Who knows? But yeah, the, the depth of talent is amazing. And on the women's side, I mean, you mentioned Emma Snow. So she's her career, I think, is considered as one of the benchmarks. You can, we can also talk about McKee. I always like to go back to McKeeley because I think she won titles in non-drafting and drafting um, IT racing. She was able to reinvent herself when the that really first wave of Uber swimmers came along. Sheila Tormina, Barb Linkwist, Loretta Harrison changed the racing. You know, some athletes got left behind, but not McKeeley. She she reinvented herself and was still able to, I think, finish on three or four more ITU World Championship podiums when drafting came into effect and, and won, won an Olympic silver medal. So you got to mention her up there. But I, I just think... Yeah, you mentioned Gwen George as well. I agree, though. I think when you think across swim, bike, and run, I mean, Snowy was more a runner. Um, you know, would every now and again could miss the front swim group, as as could McKeely and, and a lot of them. Same with Gwen. I mean, Gwen swim often, early, particularly early in her career, um, she could miss that front group. Flora just never misses anything. She's always off the front and the swimmer in the front group. And then she's instigating the the attacks on the bike. And if it comes together and it's a group run, well, she's the best runner. I saw she posted something herself. I think they had like the um, a point score for each of the disciplines, and she headed up the the run. She was the I think she was the best runner for the World Triathlon Series this year. Georgia Taylor Brown was second, and I want to say um, Cassandra Bogran was third. So, I mean, it doesn't matter which way the race plays out. Flora's holding all the cards um, and dictating how that race is unfolding. So, and now she has, I think, pound for pound, her resume just stacks up against anyone's um, Olympic gold, two Commonwealth Games gold, four ITU World Championships now. So that's that surpasses, that's definitely the best short course um, female career, in my opinion, just on the numbers. But, I mean, we can always look, 
deeper than the numbers, which I know you like to do. And yeah, just I just think the way Flora races, I mean, some days she just goes straight off the front from the pontoon and takes one or two with her. Um, it could be a really sort of flat technical ride like it was in Tokyo and she goes off the front. It can be a really hilly ride like in Bermuda and she goes off the front but doesn't lose her composure if, if a big group comes in together off the bike. Um, still has that just incredible run speed up her sleeve. So um, just, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I just cannot see a weakness in her game. And I think her resume, if you just want to compare results, result versus result, her, her resume stacks up and, and just across the board, she really doesn't have any weaknesses. Tactically is amazing. Technically brilliant. I mean, probably the best bike handler in the field by virtue of her mountain biking background. So just has all the bases covered. And so we've talked positives. Did, was there any low lights of the year for you? Was there any disappointing moments or sad moments or or, or anything um, anything like that? Um, not really. I mean, there's always this. I mean, watching, and that, that's, that's the theatre of sport. There's good news stories and bad news stories. People have bad luck, good luck. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just sport. For me, that's the journey. I don't really get sad watching it. I mean, it was disappointing, Lucy's injury, missing out. I had Lucy as a big favourite. You and I chatted. She was one of our big favourites for the Ironman World Championships in Utah earlier in the year. But that turned into a fairy tale, really. She was able to turn that around and come back bigger and better than ever. Um, no real bad news stories. I think that the sport continued to grow and progress. I think we saw just benchmark performances. I think we continue to see the standard of coaching go up. We continue to see the technology and the innovation coming into the sport um, with equipment, how it's used, monitoring, um, for training purposes. So, you know, I just think we're on the up and up, mate. I mean, yeah, there was there was certainly some people who had disappointing races, some injuries, unlucky injuries. I mean, the, the bad news story, I guess, the big one is Cat Matthews. I mean, that's that was just a terrible accident she had. And that's it's never good timing, to, you know, to be a bike rider and have a collision with a car, but to have it a week or 10 days out from the, the world champs is just awful. Um, but in the end, I see that as a good news story because it could have been a lot worse. So um, thankfully, she had some really bad injuries, but um, from what I understand, she will, she will get back to her best. So um, not having her at the World Championships for me was probably the big downer of the year because I just think, yeah, her her career, her tra trajectory, is she's just trending up all the time. I mean, second second in Utah, earlier in May, and I think it would have just gone from strength to strength um, later in the year as well. So probably that's the big downer, the, the bad news story of the year, but ended up being, as I said, turning around and seeing the silver lining and um, being happy the fact that she will get back to her pre-injury level. I think probably the other one is that it's not really a, a low light. It's just that what could have been, it would have been so fun to have had Jan Fredino 100% fit and healthy on that start line with the Norwegians. I think um, that would have answered a lot of questions in a lot of people's heads. And it's sort of not a low light because now we have this narrative going into 2023 of the Yarn comeback and 
will Christian and Gustav start at Kona? And if they do, will they be fit? And will we finally get to see that showdown? So in a way, it's sort of, it builds some anticipation for what might be in 2023. But hey, it would have been bloody fun to have had Jan Fredino um, on that start line in Kona as well. Um, and, and we've already talked about a lot of performances through the year, Crowey, a lot of great performances. I'm going to I'm gonna ask you, and it's tough, but I, but I want you to do it. I want you to narrow down to who you think were the, who was the best male and who was the best female triathlete in the world in 2022. Well, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, you are right about Jan. He he was a big exclusion. Um, and, you know, I heard a lot of talk after the race because the times were so quick this year that, I mean, that was 12 minutes quicker than he'd ever gone. I think the conditions played a huge role on that as the, you know, the new technology. So um, there's no doubt Jan hasn't posted a runtime in Kona close to what Gustav did or, or even Christian um, this year, but he he will factor in every race he does. So, yeah, that's an exciting narrative moving forward. The best, um, well, on the women's side, I'm just going to go with Flora. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Flora. I just think to win a fourth world triathlon series crown, to win the Commonwealth games, to go and win the big home race in Bermuda that she did with all the pressure, you know, winning, winning does breed winning and winning is a habit, no doubt. And like all habits, they can be hard to break and she's in the winning habit, but it still comes with a lot of pressure. And and the more you win, the more it galvanizes your opposition and the closer you are to a, to a defeat, but she just continues to deliver and the expectation she would have that pressure particularly when she goes home to race in Bermuda and she just, yeah, she delivered another faultless performance there. So I'm just going to say, and, and you know what, I, I guess the, the short course athletes do race a little bit more. So you see them more. So maybe that clouds your opinion when you're looking at who is the best. Um, but yeah, I just think Flora's, she hasn't put a foot wrong. I, I know she, she stepped up to the Collins cup and, and didn't have her best day there. Uh, and, and nor did she at the 70.3 Worlds, but she went to Bermuda a week after the 70.3 Worlds in Utah and just delivered an incredible performance. I, I think, you know, in the 70.3 racing, she just hasn't spent the time on the time trial bike um, and hasn't altered the training a little bit that you need to, but I'm still going to give her my female triathlete of the year because I just think to continue to deliver in that, arena the way she does is incredible and, and and looking forward the pressure builds again um you know for her next year and then going into paris so you know every empire has to fall eventually but she continues to reign supreme so i'm gonna on the lady's side i'm gonna give her the nod on the i mean it's a tough one on the boys side isn't it There's, i mean alex yee just another incredible year. I mean, he continues to step his game up. I think Hayden Wild stepped his game up, although those two boys did falter a little bit, not a lot, but as we talked about, it only needs to be half a percent in WTS racing. And, you know, you're not on the top of the podium, you're fourth or you're fifth or you're seventh. But that's why I gave the nod to Flora because she just, yeah, continues to hit that top step. Alex had a great season, but maybe didn't... Um, come through at the end and, and get that 
world championship title. I wouldn't say that's a failure by any stretch. An incredible season. So he's got to be in, in our shortlist or, or or on our shortlist. Leo Berger has to be on our shortlist. Just so consistent. Um, Hayden Wild had a great season. And if we look at the longer distances, I mean, you just got to, Gustav and Christian have to be in the conversation as well, don't they? I mean, whatever the, whatever the distance of racing, and, and particularly Christian, even if it's WTS racing, he's still in the mix. I think he finished, he finished sixth in his hometown race in Bergen the week after um, 70.3 Worlds. I mean, just impressive. And I, and I think, yeah, Gustav the same. I, I think at Bermuda, they're both in the top 10 as well. So, I mean, I, I just think we've got to say Christian. Um, he won He won the Ironman World Championships in Utah with an incredible race. Um, I actually thought Gustav was the favourite on that course, but Gustav didn't make the start line. So, um, and again, that's part of the attrition rate in long course racing and in any triathlon racing, really. So Christian, he did make the start line. He wasn't 100% healthy, but he still delivered 100% on his potential at Ironman distance racing and won his first world title at that distance and first of first of many, I think. He turned up in Kona and got a third, um, which is not a bad result by any stretch. But, you know, it's interesting the dynamic between the two Norwegians. Gustav delivered a beautiful performance in Kona. What we thought he might do, um, Christian got, got third place. And then, you know, fast forward three weeks to Utah again. And the whole week leading up to that race in Utah, the 70.3 Worlds, it seemed as if Gustav didn't have, I don't know, there was just something missing, I felt. Um at the press conference and and it's understandable. I mean he'd he'd won the Ironman World Championship a couple of weeks before. And so when you look at the dynamic between those two boys, I mean, one of them left the big island having fulfilled their goal. Um a little bit of a, an emotional letdown maybe. Uh who knows? But Christian left the big island third, so finished on the podium at the World Championships in Kona, but I think just a different mindset, still hungry for more, maybe a little let down perhaps after the third place in Kona. So I just saw those two guys coming into the Utah 70.3 awards with a completely different mindset. Um, you know, Christian still seemed to have a fire under him um, and wasn't completely content with his season and was able to deliver again. So I'm going to give the nod to Christian. I mean, I think to win... 70.3 worlds um, at the end of the season to get third in Kona um, and win the Ironman worlds, which technically was the 2021 Ironman worlds, and also the performances he laid down in all the other races he did from the Collins Cup to the PTO um, and then World Triathlon Series racing. Uh, he's going to get he's going to get the nod from me. Um, with with an honourable mention to Gustav, I mean he that was a hell of a season as well. I mean one of the best, one of the best seasons in the history of our sport. Gustav had just happened to be the second best season this year. It's um, talking to you, Crow. This is why I love talking triathlon with you because everything you say, I'm sitting here just nodding, going, "Yep, that, yep, 
Yep, yep. I don't, I don't remember a time we've ever disagreed on anything because what everything you just said then is exactly what I think. Like word for word, every, I could not agree with anything you're saying more strongly if I tried. Flora was was the best female triathlete of the year for sure in my mind. Did she have the best performance of the year? Probably not. Like maybe Chelsea's Kona performance was the best performance of the year, but but Chelsea wasn't the best triathlete of the year. Flora was the best triathlete of the year. Did she have some low lights like compared to, you know, some other years we've seen, like some maybe compared to Christian's year? Like, yeah, Flora didn't have the race she would have liked at the 70.3 Worlds, for example. But it, it like you said, it, it doesn't really matter. Like the, the things that she did do well, she did as well as anyone's ever done them um, and cemented herself as the best short course female triathlete to ever live, I think. And, and for that probably gets the nod as the best female triathlete of, of 2022 and, and mate, everything you said about the, the male side of it then just – I don't need to really even repeat anything because I just ditto everything you said. Like did the same sentiment, I guess, did Christian have the best race of the year? No, he didn't. Gustav's Kona was probably better. It was it, – Christian, you could argue Gustav's Kona is the best male triathlon performance of all time. You know, that's how good mm. that was. Yeah. But, you know – what Christian did consistently, it just has to make him the best triathlete of, of the year. He he won a world championships himself in that year. Now, look, would 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 Gustav have won that race? Maybe, probably, but he didn't because he wasn't there. So you can only race who's there, and and you can only judge these things based on what actually happened, not what hypothetically could have happened. So Christian won that race, and and he won it in dominant fashion, and. Then he, he also won the 70.3 world. So he's, he's won two world championships in the same year, come, come third at, at Kona. And like you said, fastest time at Collins Cup. Now I know there was some conditional things there, but that's another, another dub he got on, on Gustav. And, and he got the better of Gustav in all short course races they did this year. So Gustav had the highs and, and like, Jesus, they were highs and probably got the better of Christian more often than not in the long course racing. But from balance of season and consistency and reading it on a resume, God, Christian had, has there ever been a better year in, in, in male triathlon by an athlete? Maybe not. It was, it was an insane year. It wasn't without fault. Like he did falter, but yeah, pound for pound, what a year he had. Um, Crowey, what was your favorite race of the year? Uh, well, there were, I mean, every race. I love, I mean, every race that I watch is my favorite. I mean, I loved, I love the Collins Cup format, the head-to-head racing. I mean, I think it could have some tweaks for sure, but just the whole idea of that head-to-head-to-head matchup, um, I find super interesting. Um, I would change the distances they race over there and maybe change the format and even have a team's race there. Um but I, I enjoyed that. I mean, Cone is always my favourite. I just love – I mean, it was the first triathlon I ever saw. I just love the place. I, I love being there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 70.3 Worlds was – and Ironman Worlds in Utah were probably a highlight for me as well because I think, you know, that race in May was, was really up a – against a hiding to nothing, wasn't it? Everyone was always going to compare it to Kona. Um, and Kona is Kona. It's amazing. It has the history and and that's um, – but I think the best athletes rise wherever you are. And, and what I thought happened in Utah was we saw a really great 
World Championship course, incredible racing. Um, so I think that was a highlight for me too. And those two races, the two 70 point, I mean, sorry, the, the two World Championships, the 70.3 and the Ironman Worlds in Utah and St. George, Utah, I think was two of my favorite races of the year just because of how hard the course is and the quality field. And I guess a highlight for me this year is there's just so much racing now that all the best people are at. So, of course, at, at the Ironman World Championships and at the 70.3 Worlds and at the, the WTS Grand Final, you get the best, the deepest fields. But I think what we're seeing now more regularly during a season than we used to is just races like the PTO. Um, because of the prize money and the exposure that those races get, they attract the best people. So you're seeing almost like a Clayton's World title a few other times throughout the season. Um, you know, we got to see Christian and Gustav and Ali Brownlee and Sam Laidlow, Aaron Royal, Freddie Funk. They all went head-to-head in the PTO race in Edmonton. Um, and I just think we're seeing more and more races where, like that, where the really big names, the, the names we tune in to watch are just going to head-to-head more often. Um, so for me, that's the highlight. It wasn't one race was my favorite race my favorite thing about this season was and i don't know if that's because we're coming out of a pandemic so we're making up for lost time i certainly hope moving forward that's the triathlon landscape that's what the triathlon landscape looks like that we get to tune in and watch ye v hauser v wild you know duffy against georgia taylor brown and, and all the other girls in the mix particularly out depth out of the uk and in middle and long course racing all the biggest names I think it's good for the sport as a whole when the, the, the recognisable names, the, the big names, the great athletes just race more often, not a couple of times a year. So to answer your question, I don't think I had a favourite race, but my favourite thing was that the big names, the superstars just got together and, and raced more often. I loved the um, the PTO US Open. I thought that race was classic. Like The women's race was like, one of my favourite races of the year with Taylor Nib coming back from injury, Lucy Charles coming back from injury and like Taylor Nib just went bananas on that bike and and then with Ash Gentle running through both of them in like the 40 degree heat. I thought that was a crazy race and the men's race as well. Like I loved Colin Chartier and, and Sam Long and Magnus Ditlev's battle out front there. Like I just thought that was such a great race and um, same with, with, the, with the Canadian Open. I thought that was you know, Sam Laidlow and Alistair Brownlee off the front. I, I loved that. And Ash Gentle again, like what an underrated year she had. I just thought those two races were awesome. And and I'm sort of agreeing with you in sentiment with how many good races there were. Like I reckon a race this year that sort of got forgotten about and amongst it all was an early season race out at, out at, in California at Oceanside where, God, I, outside of the big races, that, that might be one of the best 70.3s we've ever seen. Like it was – you don't get that in those kind of 70.3s very often where, you know, the the women's winner was Taylor Nib, who was in really good early season form, went on to win the 70.3 World Championships and, um, you know, the top like, sort of like 10 in, in that race were, were crazy, went on to have great years in, in Holly Lawrence and Ashley Gentle and uh, Paula Finlay and Chelsea Sadara. It was such a deep race and like as high quality race as we've seen and that men's race was so exciting. Like we had that front group on the run with 
um, Alistair Brownlee leading off the front like he does and Jacko Laundrie and uh, Ben Canute and Jason West and, and Sam Appleton and and then being run down on uh, Rudy Von Berg and all of them being chased down by Lionel Sanders who went on to have a terrible year by his high lofty standards but that one race early in the year at, at Oceanside and, and then um, into St George he, he had a start to the year that people have forgotten about you know him and Rudy having that that epic you know sprint sprint finish for, for second behind Jacko Laundry and Alistair Bra- Brownlee fading into fourth that was that was an absolute classic and so I agree with you I'm just sort of adding to the list of of what were some you know deep and, and great races but I don't know for me Crowy like I loved St George as well we talked before that in <laughs> for about two hours about that race and it, it delivered but how do you go past Kona this year Crowy like I've I've watched Kona every year since 2006. You've watched it well before that. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a better race than 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 2022 at Kona. I, I don't think I've, you know, 2011, the year that you won it and and famously um, broke the course record of of um, Luke Van Leer. Like, oh, that was that was a crazy year. But I think 2022 for me topped it finally. It's taken a, a long time for. For, for that to be topped. But I think in my mind, your, your, your win in 2011 has been pushed down to number two in my favourite Coners of all time by, by 2022. Mate, I can live with that because 2022 was special. It was, yeah. I mean, I wanted to enter Kona, but it seemed the obvious and the easy answer. But it always delivers. I mean, I always, it always delivers that race. It does. I love it. Um, but, yeah, just I think it was a perfect storm this year in that, you know, we'd been away from Kona for three years so maybe the the hype was bigger even more than normal we had just you know these questions to answer about the norwegians would they live up to everybody's um expectation of them and i think they already had long before kona this year but yeah, I think maybe there was just a hyper intensity this year because we hadn't we'd been away for three years in terms of the focus on it, but it certainly delivered. Um, the guys and the girls' races out there were special. The guys' race it was super quick, just incredible. I mean, and what you mentioned before, I mean, yeah, I mean, you mentioned some names. I mean, Ash Gentle had an incredible season, didn't she? I mean, she won a couple of the PTO events. Her matchup in the Collins Cup, she dominated. Yep. One nooser again. Um, real shame she didn't go to 70.3 watts, but I can understand why because Noosa was on that weekend and obviously her marriage to Joshy was coming up soon after. She'd been away for a long time this year. Um, Paul Finley as well, just so consistent. Um, you know, there's some athletes who you just, you always sort of know what you're going to get with them. You know, you know, there's plus or minus two or three percent you know how they're going to perform. Paul, Paul is one of those. So is Ash. I mean, like you mentioned, they were, they were, you know, right in the thick of the race at Oceanside early in the year. But isn't it interesting how Taylor Nib had a great race in Oceanside and then got injured and missed a lot of the middle, but then came back strong. And, you know, Jackson Laundrie was a bit the same. He had a great race in Oceanside and he didn't get injured. But I just think you can, if, you, if your season's too long, you, you, can, you can hit a real flat spot. And I think Jackson hit a flat spot then, but then he came, he turned it around towards the end of the season. I think he had a win at a 70.3 and then sixth or seventh at 70.3 was, which I know he was over the moon with. So um, season scheduling is still as important as ever. Um, And maybe more important because 
you know, I know in my generation, my era, you always had the big races, the big championships, the world championships, and then there was a few other big races that you knew were going to be competitive like St. Croix or just the races that had the prize money or the attention that everyone was going to turn up at. So they were like a pseudo world champ. So you had to be at your best. I think what we're seeing these days is that that's turning into most races now. Um, so if you're a few percent off in the middle of the year, you're not even going to be on the podium. So, yeah, I mean, Oceanside feels like it was last season, doesn't it? But it was this season. It was seven or eight months ago. And, um, yeah, hats off to the athletes who really managed their season well. I mean, Taylor, I would – I mean, getting an injury, I guess, is, you know, I guess you're never going to be – accused of managing your season well if you get injured sometimes it's unavoidable though but just the way her and her coach were able to still rein things in in the middle rehabilitate and come out firing at the death like just incredible form she had uh the back end of the season and but it's interesting i mean if you're an athlete now sitting down planning for next year and beyond um you know the itu athletes looking looking ahead 18 months to to the Olympics, I think you have to be really careful about what you put in your schedule um, and making sure you don't over-race um, with, you know, qualification for world championships and qualification for Olympic teams on the line. Um, yeah, I think it brings more into focus, just season scheduling and uh, just making sure that you are in your best shape and injury-free when it matters the most because that's always been the secret source of our sport. Who surprised you the most in 2022, Crowley? Uh, that's a good question. Surprise in a good way. I mean, I think Christian and Gustav just continue to push the boundaries. And, you know, as I said, I mean, I've always felt that the, the, the best short course athletes go on to make the best long course athletes. You just change your training up a little bit. And sometimes it takes a little longer because um, you've got to, you know, stimulate some metabolic changes in the, how you burn fuel as well. But generally speaking, the, the best swim bike runners are the best swim bike runners. But just the way they're, they're bouncing between, I think even more so this year, they change between distances in a shorter time frame than they ever have before. Um, so that was a nice surprise just to see if they could continue along that vein. And they have, they haven't compromised on this mindset they have just to dominate everything every distance every race every weekend and i kind of love that uncompromising attitude flora flora surprised me in a nice way again because again the the more dominant you are you know it forces your competition to improve like she would be she's raising the level across women's triathlon because of her performances and you just keep thinking well when, when's it going to end when's this imperious rang at an end and it doesn't look like there's any end in sight so that was a nice surprise um what else chelsea chelsea i mean i'd heard i would been hearing about chelsea for a while have been watching her closely i know she was a college runner and had a professional running career and but just her meticulous preparation for kona her and her coach dan clues you know, people talk about, oh, you got to pay your dues in Kona. And the interesting thing about that mindset is it's not only about how many hours or race days you've had in Kona. It's about how, how many training hours you've logged there as well. And she went there on a few training camps. And 
even though it was her, was it her first Kona? I think it was her first Kona. First Kona, yep. Yeah, I mean, she's had more experience on that island than most. I know how, how many training hours she's logged there. So she knows exactly how her body performs in those conditions. But then to go out and execute the way she did and just little things about her race to her, her run power walk strategy, like run between the eight stations and power walk through them the whole run. And I mean, she came out at T2. I was standing about 300 meters um, out of T2. So you, you come up Polani and make a right onto Kuakini. And I was about 50 meters along there. And she just shot out of there faster than and her and Andy Howe just were noticeably quicker than everyone else. But Chelsea was noticeably the quickest. And then we get word on course that the pace she's running. And I was actually standing on Polani where she overtook Lucy or just came right up on Lucy's shoulder as they headed out to the lava fields. And yeah, just, just amazing. They had a, a beautifully um, put together strategy and she executed it perfectly and when was strong in a very fast race, she was, she was up the front of the race all day. So I agree with you. That was the female performance of the year. While she didn't, I guess, get my not as triathlete of the year. That was just an incredible race to watch her pace. That day, you know, one one thing about the race in Hawaii when you don't get the trade wins, which we haven't seen for a long time now, but it makes it harder at the back end of the race, I think, because it's just hotter. It's just hotter on the run course. Um, you know, the wind used to give you a little bit of reprieve. It slowed the bike times down, but it cooled you down as well. So, yeah, I mean, Chelsea's race was, again, it was one of those things where we were hearing about potential and then someone's come come through and just fulfilled it you know we, we often talk about a lot of athletes who have the ability to do this or that at races and the big races and I mean Chelsea's race was yeah it was beautiful to watch and the 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 execution the patience and just sticking to her strategies from start to finish um so that was a, a good uh, a pleasant surprise to see um not that it was unexpected but you, you've watched that race a lot, a lot, as much as I have. And, and you, you know, pre-race favourites often falter. Um, big names with big reputations often falter. So I think when someone comes through and fulfills a potential that you think they have, it is always a bit of a surprise because um, there's always so much carnage out there as well. So, I mean, all those things for me were, um, again, were hyped points of the year and, and pleasant surprises i mean i don't know um i don't know if anyone came through and blew my doors off in terms of did something that i didn't expect i think I, all the names that both you and i have mentioned today across all the distances were were on everybody's radar um i think at the start of the year but to see people fulfill that and to continue on you know laying down great careers. I think it's always satisfying and interesting to watch because winning's one thing, but continuing to win brings another level of expectation and pressure, um, another level of professionalism because there's more demands on your time. And I'm not, I'm not going to say it's easy to win. It's never easy to win, but when you're not the big favourite, um, you know, it's a different dynamic. When you're expected to win, the pressure's different, but also the race dynamic's different. Everybody's game planning around you to, you know, to to sort of leverage and platform or use your performance or 
what you're going to do as a platform, you know, to springboard their own performance. And that just brings with it a different dynamic in the race. So for the big favourites to continue to produce, I just think that's always exceptional. I'm with you about Chelsea. Like, I think that was um, undoubtedly the most surprising performance of the year. I thought, I would, like, like you know, I was messaging you on Instagram um, about who we thought the favourites were. And I I thought, I did like a little thing, like who I thought could t- come top five. And I didn't have Chelsea fifth, but I had her as like in this next group of like people who might be around the fifth mark. She went and won it dominantly. And people are lying if they... If they if they said that they thought she was going to win, even yeah. the most even her coach Dan Plews, who I had on in like and chatted to in the week in Tacoma, he thought she could podium. He didn't think she could win. He thought she could win the following year. You know, so if her coach isn't even thinking that, like, yeah, you're kidding yourself, I reckon. But so, some other ones, the other two that really stood out to me is like genuinely surprised me. Like I was watching him and thought, huh, I didn't expect that. Were were Ben Canute at the 70.3 Worlds. I, I'm i a massive Ben Canute fan. I had him on in the lead-up to the 70.3 World Champs because um, one of my favourite races that I've ever watched is um, when he came second at the 70.3 World Champs in 2017 to Javier Gomez. I loved that race. You know, I, it was one of my, just one of my favourite races. And talking to him about, like, what's changed? Like, what have, what have you done? Why aren't you that athlete anymore? Is the sport just changed to not suit you? And he did talk about how he... He changed his training quite a bit, but has gone back to um, doing what he was doing in 2017 and 18 in the lead up to this 70.3 Worlds. And sometimes you hear that and you go, oh, yeah, you're just saying that, like you probably haven't changed that much. Like, you know, you have to tell yourself that I'll go back and do what I was doing then. But a little part of me thought, like, based on what he was saying, he he'd sort of he was telling me that he'd gone away from doing quite as much volume, was doing a lot of quality and had had now transitioned back with his coach to to doing a lot more volume and doing this he he like this program that he was doing in the lead up to 17 and 18 where he would do 10 days of big volume and then some quality and and he, he came second at the 70.3 world champs again so i don't know what that tells you does it tell you that the field was weak and ben was able to step back up i don't think it does i thought the field was pretty strong and deep and and was a really high quality race i I think maybe there's some truth to what Ben was saying and they did maybe stray too far away from the winning formula from him, what was working, and now they've gone back. And I, I think that race genuinely shocked a lot of people when Ben Canute came second. And he seriously, he made Christian fight for that win. There was, I don't think I really thought at any point he was going to beat Christian, but I got I started to the same thing that was happening halfway through the marathon at Kona. I went, what if though? Like, so that, that really surprised me. And, and then the other one that surprised me, I don't know if it will shock you as much as it shocked me, Crowey. I thought Sebastian Keenlay could come 10th, 11th at Kona, maybe 9th on a good day. I didn't think he could be running through the field and be threatening the top five the way he was um, by the time the finish line came around. Um, and he, he almost got there, ended up finishing sixth in the end. So that's, that performance both surprised me and made me fucking happy. That was probably my feel-good moment of the year. Yeah, uh, well, mate, I... You and I are on the same wavelength there. I had said, I, I thought it would be maybe 8th to 12th. Um, his race was incredible and it was so good. I, I'm a big Seb fan. So, yeah, that was that was great. I think a great way just to bookend and end his Kona career. It was so nice to see him have that race. 
it's interesting with what you say about Ben, isn't it? Because it highlights a couple of things. Firstly, how hard it is just to be consistent at the highest level. And when we see Christian and Gustav do it and Flora, you almost take it for granted. But, you know, there's athletes out there who have world championship podium ability, but we just don't see it every single time. Um, and I think that just speaks to how good the others are. It's not a negative on those athletes at all, who, but it just speaks to how good and how hard it is just to be on the podium or be up contending and being consistent at the big races because that's not easy to do. And you're right about Ben. I mean, it's, it was five years between podiums um, and he had a great race in Utah. And it's funny because I think as athletes, sometimes we, in that sort of endless search for perfection and striving for more, you know, that comes with taking some risks around decisions with your training. And sometimes you change things to try and, uh, get that little bit and, and Ben's so workmanlike isn't he he's just consistent with his training and and just a great athlete no weaknesses swim bike run I mean his game stacks up well in any field hot or cold hilly flat I mean, just a great athlete but I think you highlight a good point sometimes as athletes we in just that quest to be to be better you know, it doesn't come without risk and sometimes the risk is you change things up and you get away from every athlete's different physiologically, mentally, emotionally. But on the physical, you know, the training side, some athletes respond better to volume and others to intensity. That's always been the case. So, and, you know, it's 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 like making a, a stew. You know, you're changing the ingredients a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that and can be fraught with danger if you you know if you've got a good got a good system in place but i mean that's the nature of being a high level athlete a high performer i mean you you sometimes make those decisions those risky decisions because you're always pushing for more you're never resting you're never content i mean he got second in the world in chattanooga in 2017 was satisfied but probably not content wanted more um and you know, you make some changes and that, that can happen. You can easily lose a season or two very quickly um, because betting in a lot of these changes takes six or seven months. As you know, you know, you change training and you don't really see the fruits of it for months um, and how it plays out, these changes. So, um, yeah, it was so good to see Ben, though. He's just, I mean, by his own standards, he had an awful year um, leading up to um, 70 point three worlds but then his last he's turned it around he's had a incredible race in utah and then went and had an incredible race at arizona in his first ever ironman so yeah it was good he's one of the nice guys of the sport so it was great to see him get on the podium and, and finish strong the way we we've seen him do so many times and was there anyone in 2022 who you thought i think their their glory days might be past them and i don't think they can really factor on the podium in the big races, whether it be Ironman World Champs, Ironman 70.3 World Champs, um, et cetera, um, anymore? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I often wonder about Lionel. I'll never question his desire or – and it's not like he had a a terrible year. I mean, I think I, by his own stands, he, I think he would have been disappointed with his race at the PTO Open in Edmonton. Um, Dallas, I know he was de definitely disappointed with that. Um, 
but he had a second place in a great race in Utah. Um, and I guess we tend to forget some of the earlier races, but yeah, he's always, he's always an interesting case study for me because I just think when he gets it right, he, he needs to improve his swim. There's no question. He's just, he's putting himself under so much pressure being so far behind out of the water. Um, you know, when you look at the big races, how they play out, you know, what we saw in Kona this year. I mean, we saw it, we saw a big pack in Kona, um, which is unusual. And, you, you, you know, you might want to ask the question, well, had Josh Yarnberger, um, Jan Fredino, Alistair Brownlee. Um, I mean, I know Josh was in the race, but the other two weren't. And, you know, I... I Josh's MO this year was a little different. His plan was just to, to go with that front group. But, you know, I sometimes think the balance of power at the front of the race shifts. If, if, there's, if there's enough really good swimmers, you could get five or six or seven together, like I think we saw in Kona in 2019. Um, if that dynamic plays out, then that puts someone like Lionel under immense pressure. But, I mean, I guess in fairness, he did – he was a little ways behind out of the swim in Utah early this year and he was able to – he raced a really smart bike ride and then ran an incredible marathon. So, um, you know, I'd never ride him off. I just think he's too tough mentally, has too much motivation, loves a sport, has a passion for it, and, and not just the winning. He just loves pushing himself. And those two things are different. I think when you love pushing yourself, you can do it even. Some athletes, I mean, throughout the history of our sport, we've seen they they win or they get towards the front, and if they're not there, they pull out or they just disappear. Um, and there's plenty we could mention like that. But Lionel's not one of those. He's always pushing hard wherever he's on course. So, yeah, but I'm just interested to see if he can maybe reinvent himself again and pick that swim up, even just two minutes um, over the Ironman distance. Because I think the racing is better and more fun when he's in the mix. Um, anyone else? Um you know, I, th I had thought Sebi, like you said, maybe this year wouldn't be right up the front of the race in Kona, but proved us wrong and happy to be proven wrong. And I think that race was such a fast, hard race that a lot of people suffered and he just came through with his experience and his excellence and delivered a great race. So that was good. Um, and maybe he sees the writing on the wall. And, I, you know, it's, it's funny with, with sport because sometimes from the outside looking in, we think, oh, that, that person's done. They're not going to compete anymore. And I mean, it's a, it's a question really only the person and the people in their immediate camp can answer because it's not only a physical consideration that that is one of the big considerations. We, we definitely all physically decline at some point, but I think also is, is it, is the motivation still there when you've been doing it a long time? Is the desire to check all those boxes, you know, find all those extra one percenters like like we used to do. You know, as, as life changes, your perspective changes. You might have a family, business, interests and opportunities and maybe you're not all in on the triathlon like you used to be. So those questions, and it's hard to answer those questions from the outside looking in, but I can't think of anyone immediately. I mean, I think if, if we, I mean, I guess there's question marks over Danny, but there always is when you get to a certain age. And I think she felt that going into Utah and then turned in that there seemed to be a real fire about the way she finished that race in Utah. And, um, you know, I think she felt that people had written her off 
Um, I know I had not picked her on my podium. I I had picked, I think I picked, yeah, I picked Lucy when I previewed the race with you for Utah back in May, but then she got injured and, and then I thought Laura would be amazing and she, she got COVID as well, so she missed out. So um, I just saw a fire in Danny when she crossed the line in Utah that, yeah, she was really happy to prove a lot of the doubters wrong. Um, and I guess a lot of the doubters aren't really doubters. They're just interested observers a lot of times and posing questions like we just had, like, you know, how many more times can Danny can Danny do it? And you, you never write off a champion, that's for sure. I mean, I don't think I don't think her performance in Kona was um, signaled the end of anything. I think she I think she got caught in a swim group and that gap opened up and there was way more separation coming out of T1 than she would have liked because she's never normally seven minutes behind it. What you tend to see, I think, is is if people age, is maybe the run goes first. Um, and I think she ran the way she would normally run in Kona. She just didn't have the big lead off the bike, again, because of that dynamic in the swim. Um, you know, it was interesting standing on the pier in Kona this year. The conditions look beautiful. Um, looking out into Kailua Bay, but I think there was some water moving around a bit further out because there was separation um, in that women's race. And once people dropped the feet, the gap opened. So I think, you know, there were things and, – and, and the swim times were a bit slower. I mean, Lucy normally swims a little quicker than she did. So to me, that means something was going on in the water. You know, the conditions didn't – from, you know, standing on the pier is one thing, but actually being out there in the water with the water moving around and the currents shifting and um, – but yeah, I think Danny's eighth place, I think it was eighth place in Canada, that's not really cause for alarm, but it'll be interesting. Certainly, I think we'll all be watching, very interested next year to see um, because I think from what I've heard and, and read, she's more motivated than ever. So that's a good thing. So, um, But yeah, the dynamic in the women's racing is shifting because we're going to have Kat Matthews back in the mix. I imagine Lucy will be, I imagine she will be better. I mean, she didn't have a lot of lead in with her running. Um, to the major races this year. So that's that's something to watch next year as well. So I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who has been a contender who who won't be. I, I think, I mean, I even think Jan will be a contender when he comes back. I know it's been next year, it will have been four years since he's raced an Ironman World Championships, and that's a long time. But I think the glimpses of Jan we have seen when he has raced, it's been the same dominant athlete that we've always seen someone who swims right at the front of the race is incredibly strong on the bike incredible tactics experience can um can dictate a race just doesn't follow along so i i i guess they're if you want me to narrow it down they're the for me they're the the interesting things that i'm going to watch with interest next year is you know by the time ironman worlds rolls around in october you know, it will have been four years since Jan's raced the world champs at that distance. So, yeah, that's a long time in sport. But I guess we'll get a better indication earlier in the year with some of his early season racing. And I'll be interested to see how Danny bounces back. Um, not that her race in Kona was a disaster by any stretch. And I think her season was something worth celebrating. I mean, her race in the Collins Cup was out of this world. Um, her head-to-head matchup was just... It was one of the best performances I think I've seen live. She just um, took off and was never seen again. And, and her race in Utah was brilliant as well. So 
they're, they're too. I mean, I always like to watch how the great champions respond to a little bit of adversity. So for me, they'd be the, I guess, the, the athletes that I'll be watching with a lot of interest next year. I could sit and talk triathlon with you all day, Crowy. I love how deep it is and, and we're all hearing that and it's, it's yeah, it's why I love talking to you about the sport is like one question, it's never that simple. There's so many like, you know, there's so much that, that goes into to answering a question. And so I sort of had this idea because I feel like that every time I talk to you where it's like we ask, I ask a question and then me and you just chat for 10 minutes based on this one question and throw up 50 names. And so I sort of was thinking about the, about that before the podcast, knowing that we do that again. And sure enough, we haven't, God, it's just so fun to sit back and, and listen to you talk triathlon. But I've come up with, to finish it, the fast five, which is five questions I'm going to ask you. And I don't want to hear any hedging of bets or any discussion. I just want you to say the one name or, or the, the one person or the one thing. So here's the fast five to, to finish up this um, recap of the 2022 triathlon world, world, uh, world season. So... Based on 2022, Crowey, and it's it's still a little while away, but who do you think is the favourite for the next Olympics, men and female? Laura Duffy, Alex Yee. If you were a company, a big company, and you could invest your money in one athlete for 2023 based on the 2022 season, who would it be? Hmm. Christian. You're going to get a lot of exposure. <laughs> Speaking of the Norwegians, there's a lot of talk about the Norwegians and and the answer may be Norway, but what country do you think was the most dominant country in world triathlon in 2022? Ooh. On the men's side, definitely Norway. And on the women's, I'm going to say Great Britain. Um, they just continue to have so much depth in all distances. And we've already touched on this a little bit, but who do you think will win the men's and women's Ironman World Championships in 2023? Mm. Women's, I'm going to say Chelsea to repeat. Men, I'm going to say Jan Fredino. Oh, that would be big. Um, my last question. This is this is my favourite question. If you were racing right now in 2022 and 2023, the same way you were in, say, 2010 and 2011 when you were the best in the world. And you could have one training partner next year, your pick of anyone, based off the year they had in 2022 or what you saw from them in 2022, who would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I might go with uh, – that is a good question. Um, well, there's a few that come – you only want one, though. But um, I only want one. Well, probably Gustav. I mean, I, I I used to like logging a few hours myself, and I guess if I trained with him, I'd have some good Instagram content as well. So, <laughs> just checking checking a few boxes. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a full time photographer for for Christian. <laughs> tells some jokes. Yeah. Trains thirty five yeah. hours a week. You you would have loved him. <laughs> All right, Crowy. So, great chat. Thanks for wrapping up twenty twenty two with me. It was probably my favorite season of triathlon I've ever seen. And I mean, you're one of the few people out there who I know loves triathlon probably more than I do. And, and that's saying something because there's not really many races I miss and, and, and you're the same. And like I said in the intro, I don't think there's a better triathlon IQ or, or a better triathlon mind that 
that exists in the world. I wish you were commentating the world championships every year, by the way, I'd pay big money for you to be, you know, <laughs> the head commentator for the Ironman world championships. And, and you're on my dream team for like, if I could have a three man panel for the world championships, I, I fucking wish it was you. It would make the race so much funner. Um, but hopefully we've started a tradition and we can, we can chat uh, at the end of 2023 and, and go over that. And yeah, I, I just bloody love, love, you know, your, your takes on the sport and opinions on the sport and, and love sitting back and, and talking to you. So thanks for joining me, Crowey. Pleasure as always. One of the all-time greats. Like I said in the intro, if you haven't listened, um, go back and listen to episode eight where I talked to Crowey about his career and the way he used to train. It was um, it was a crazy episode. It was one of the episodes that really um, got this got this podcast out there for people to listen to and and took off because of the stories Crowey told and and the crazy career he had and, and the crazy um, training he used to do uh, in the lead up to his five uh, Ironman and Ironman 70.3 World Championships. So thanks again, Crowey. You're too kind, mate. Thanks for having me on.